So 50% of our time is our exploration when we do the travel part, the fun part, and the other 50% is kind of the boring part where we will work on our project. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. We took a little bit of a hiatus, but we're back and better than ever. Justin, what's going on in your world? Well, we're kind of sitting here, you know, leading into the the final holidays, the final end of this year. And uh, looking back on it, I know it's been a, it's obviously been a tough year for a lot of people, but it's been an interesting year personally. And um I kind of feel like I'm finally starting to hit my groove from the move to Austin, um, starting to see those expenses kind of come down to where I thought they would. I'm getting settled in. We got the apartment renovated. So it just kind of feels like we're finally getting in the groove of things um, and excited about the vaccine news coming out and hopefully getting to start, you know, traveling a lot more next year. Um, I think I've started setting uh, dates in my mind for when I'd be ready to kind of pull the plunge and become fully retired. So, you know, just a lot of things kind of coming uh, coming to a head, and I'm starting to see a lot of traction and, and kind of see the end of the tunnel there. So it's it's a it's a cool time. I feel like normally our updates are a lot of like, oh, this trip we went on, that trip we went on. Obviously, things are a little different this year. So mostly been uh, you know hitting up a few places in the car. I have driven home uh, back to Mississippi, and I'll do that again for Christmas. But honestly, the biggest thing I'm pumped for is got myself a, a paddleboard for Christmas, a stand-up paddleboard. And so there's all these cool local spots around Texas, different streams and lakes that uh, is going to, you know, kind of going to be our outlet for travel until until the vaccine comes around and uh, we can go back to normal. What's that river called right in the center of Austin? Or am I thinking of? No, that's Austin. Yeah. Yeah. So you have, uh, technically it's the Colorado River is dammed up in a few different places. And so they call it like Lady Bird Lake is the section right in front of my house down here, downtown Austin. And then you've got, you know, a lot of different places across Texas. The Guadalupe is a, is a really popular one for people to go floating and stuff. But there's a, there's a lot of cool little areas where you can take the paddleboard out that I'm excited about. But how about you, Cody? Yeah, I've been really, really busy. So as people who, you know, listen to the podcast frequently, I moved in September down to central Connecticut. And my girlfriend, Lauren, and I actually just moved back up to Massachusetts in the beginning of December. So three moves in or two, sorry, two moves in three months isn't the funnest thing ever, but now we're kind of settled. You know, I'm hitting my groove too, which is really nice. Been spending a lot of time. I know I'd mentioned in, I think it was the 2020 roundup episode, Justin, I mentioned the properties and I had, you know, bought these two duplexes. One was a multifamily down in Connecticut, been spending a lot of time on those, just like updating, renovating, getting them rented out. I think they're almost, they're like 95% of the way there. And I have, you know, two of the units rented, but it's just been a lot of work on the real estate front. I also actually just picked up a, I guess you could call it a part-time job. But so my friend Grant, who I went on the book tour with, Grant Sabatier, he his website just got acquired by The Motley Fool like last month or maybe two months ago. And so he kind of brought me on board and now I'm working on their content team with content strategy, monetization, stuff like that since I have experience with you know my own brands and my own site. So yeah, that's exciting. I started that last week. So I've been doing that like part-time right now. I don't know if that's going to develop into something bigger, but like I said, yeah, just been staying busy, kind of grinding. It's a lot easier to pick up all these new things and try all these new adventures when, like you said, Justin, we can't travel. Last year at this time, I was in South America and this year I'm just sitting at home. So that's pretty much everything with me. I think we should probably dig into today's guest because that is the real star of the show and that's Mr. Nomad Numbers. 
And so this is a guy who's just always had the travel bug. He always knew he loved to travel. And once he kind of pulled the trigger a couple of years ago, he just started to travel hop. He do six to eight week stints in all different places around the world. He actually keeps a really detailed log on his blog showing the different numbers, what it's going to cost if he prorated that out for the entire year. Talks about slow travel, talks about minimalism, travel hacking, cooking their meals, like everything you could think about when it comes to like finance and frugality, traveling the world for super cheap, like so many of us in the Fi community know, but it is an unknown thing to so many people. Yeah, this episode is is unique in a couple different ways. I mean, A, you know, we're really trying to dig into geo arbitrage and you'll see that with, you know, the little series that we're doing, but I never really had heard anyone bring up Taiwan as a place for geo arbitrage. It was never one of the the common ones that I see listed around, like you see Thailand all the time, or you, you know, you see different parts of, uh, you know, maybe a Mexico or, or a country like that. But I just never heard of Taiwan as a, as a country that somebody was using for geo arbitrage. So that was interesting. And then deeper into Taiwan, like just, you know, when we're, we are in this kind of odd time with the, the pandemic and we see how things are being handled in our country, just to see what is it actually like in a different country? Not like, okay, you read about some news article and you're not really sure how accurate it is, like, but talking to someone who's been through it and hearing the differences, um, some good and some bad, you know, it sounds like they've had a lot of success as far as containment, but then there's all those, also these different angles of like, oh, wow, like, you know, the things that they had people doing there. Um, would maybe be culturally tough for some folks in, in the United States. Um, but uh, and then the the other thing I really loved about N- Mr. Nomad Numbers is just the numbers part. Like he really does a great job on his website of putting a lot of great, you know, actual numbers out there with maps and where you can really dig in and see what this would be like if it was something you wanted to consider. Totally agree with that, Justin. And so if you're someone who's thinking about living abroad, traveling abroad, He really gets into the weeds. He talks about getting the Taiwan gold card to establish three years residency and a bunch of other cool tips and tricks that may be applicable to you. But first, let's take a quick moment for our partner. Keeping track of your net worth is one of the most important things you can do on your journey to financial independence. If you don't have an idea of what your net worth is, there's no way that you can keep your quote unquote score. One of our favorite tools to keep this score is called personal capital. If you haven't already started using it, it's an online software that basically compiles all of your data, it crunches all your assets, all your liabilities, and spits out a net worth number and allows you to track it day by day, month by month. Yeah, Cody, one of the big things that hold people back when they're doing activities like tracking their expenses or tracking their net worth is just they look at it as a big burden. And this allows you to go in with one username and one password and access as many financial accounts as you have. These can be loans, these can be 401ks, these can be HSAs, bank accounts, credit cards, they're all linked there. The other thing I really like about personal capital is it's very investing focused. So you can go in there and look at your allocation across your entire portfolio. So you don't just look at your allocation in one type of account, but your allocation as a person completely. And if you want to use the same tool that me and Cody use to track our net worth, which is completely free, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash PC. That's thefyshow.com slash PC. We think you're really going to enjoy this episode. There's going to be a lot of great content there. And if you want to kind of read along with some notes as you listen to the episode, you can do that at thefyshow.com slash nomad numbers. That's thefyshow.com slash nomad numbers. No, so I think it started with uh, the love for travel. Um, both my wife and I both had the travel bugs in our past life. So that's what came, came first. And then as we wanted to travel, so, okay, let me take a step back. Um, so it all started with 
me meeting my wife uh, in California in uh, 2016. And uh, as we were starting to date, uh, we were having this kind of big conversation about our relationship. And in one day when we went hiking, we discussed about, oh, why, why not um, going to travel for a full year, taking a one year off to travel? And we said, oh, yeah, that sounds good. But I was asking my wife, oh, why not traveling for two or three years? Because um, we were looking at the cost of the travel and we realized that it was actually not as expensive as she thought. She, she grew up in California, so she was American, and she thought that you know, traveling for a year was going to cost her, her something like $100,000 to eat a few countries. And growing up in Europe, I knew it was going to be much cheaper. So we starting there, we realized that, oh, let's look at the cost. And then from there, we stumbled about people that were doing it indefinitely. Uh, and then that's where we stumble about the rabbit hole, about the financial independence people, people like Christian Braz, as you guys have on your show, that have been doing it. So slow travel became first, and then financial independence. It feels like the sentiment that your uh, that your wife has is very similar to what a lot of people have, which is where they put this high bar. They think it's really expensive to travel. I'm just curious, what do you think are some of the mental hurdles that people put in front of themselves that aren't real? Like, what is it that people th- are thinking incorrectly that makes them feel like travel is so expensive? Well, so I think that's a good question. I think it depends on your culture and where you come from. I think for me, again, coming, growing up in France, the, I, the cost of travel was, was X. And so when I moved to the US and when I see that cost of traveling doubling or, or tripling uh, just by looking at cost of to put a, a two weeks package together, um, for me, it was like, oh, that seems very expensive because I knew I knew that it could be cheaper. So if you grew up in the U.S. and this is how much you think a two weeks vacation is going to cost like, you might not question that. Also, the other thing is that in the U.S., because with the limited time that you have to take time off, you might just be able to travel for one week or two weeks. So you want to package um, as much as you can during the short amount of time to enjoy, to get the most out of your vacation, which will also inflate the price as well. So I think those are some of the two, um, the two elements that I think people sometimes don't try to, um, to challenge. So, Mr. NN, I know you mentioned that slow travel kind of came before financial independence, but most people who have a love for travel, they meet in 2016, can't just go and start traveling the world a couple of years later. You must have been doing something pretty right with your money. Could you just talk a little bit about your financial situation, maybe in 2016 when you and your wife met? Yeah, so I think at, at the time when we met, we didn't know what financial independence was, but we were doing all of the things that were that put us in a path to actually reach five. I think we are pretty much five by the time we've met. Uh, I think it's, it's in 2017 that we started looking at our numbers and we say, oh yeah, we're already ready. So we didn't have really to do anything else rather than some optimization because I think um, our uh, portfolio and real estate were I mean, our portfolio was mostly uh, invested into tech stocks, and we can dig into that if you guys want. But uh, yeah, so we're already at five. Um, it's just that being, I guess, maybe frugal in one sense of not trying to really spend more than we needed um, and being a little bit of minimalist as well um, put us already on that trajectory. Um, so I moved to the US in 2010 when soon after I graduated from France. So basically those... Um, Sorry, in 2000, yeah, 2008, um, shortly after I moved from France. So from 2008 to 2017, it was almost 10 years. And I think our saving rate was already at 50% at the beginning. And I think we probably ended up close to 80%. So without knowing, we're doing the right thing. 
Now, obviously, uh, not everyone listening to the show is maybe on a super accelerated path to five. Maybe they're still several years out from it. But I know you've got some things around, you know, that you don't necessarily have to wait until you're financially independent to actually start this. So I'm just trying to so I'd like to get some of your thoughts on how is it that people can sprinkle in some of the things that you've learned before they do have six months to a year where they can just travel. Maybe they only have a, you know, maybe they have maybe they could put together a month or a few weeks at a time. Yeah, so I think for us, you know, as you guys ask, uh, what came first? What came first was not the, the financial independence, it was the soul travel, because at the core, it was what something we were excited about. So I think people should think about what do they want out of their life? Um, and then, uh, you know, trying to remove all of the constraints, all of the limitations. For us, when we decided, we say we love travel and we want to travel, we are not trying to think in the back of our mind, oh, well, we need to save money, we might what's going to happen to our job, uh, to the place we are living. So we started with the end goal, where we wanted to go, and then taking the step back to engineer the plans to get there. So uh, people don't have to be fired, as you said. Uh, you, can, um, you, know, you can tap into arbitrage and uh, be able to live in a lower cost of country uh, location and uh, just work, for instance, six months out of the year if you can have a location-independent um, job as well. Uh, so that can be one option. Um, we've met people which have uh, negotiated expat contracts. So basically, right now in Taipei, some people are uh, from the UK. They came here. Uh, instead of having the two people working, the husband or the spouse is working. The other person is staying at home, uh, taking care of the kids if they have kids or doing anything else because the cost of living is much cheaper. Um, their salary is the same than they were used to have uh, before they uh, back in the UK. And usually those contracts come with free accommodation. So those are like just two examples of way when you can spin things in a way that it's doable before you reach financial independence. Um, I just see, we just see financial independence for us, not at the, at the end goal, but just at a tool, just a tool that you use to be able to make things easier. So as I said, there was a, many ways to get there. Love that and absolutely agree. So I kind of want to hop back, let's do a little time work to June of 2018 when you and your wife start you decide that you're going to embark on this nomadic journey. Could you talk a little bit about the months leading up to that? What made you want to embark on this nomadic journey? Were you going to just cut your income to zero? Were you going to drastically cut your expenses? I'd love to talk a little bit about the mindset and then some of the tacticianing that you're doing behind the scenes to get ready for something like that. Because I'm sure we have a lot of listeners who may be FI or may be pretty close to FI and have the numbers all lined up. But taking a leap like that can be really scary if you don't have the right tools in your pocket. So I think the first things we did was uh, we did a lot of research. We started by, like I said, we stumbled about, I think, the first, some of the first articles we stumbled on were um, some of the, so the blog from uh, Christian Bryce, um, then the My Scientist podcast, podcast on the Fi space as well, uh, just to get uh, an idea about how people can invest their money. Because remember, right, we were just, uh, I was, we were both chipping our money because we both work in tech. So we were able to invest in tech stocks just for the company we are working with. So I was just accumulating a lot of money. I think I was putting 15% of my salary each month uh, into the stock of the company I was working with uh, back in 2008. And over, over almost 10 years, you can imagine that that's a lot of money that you start accumulating and the market being doing so well to, since 2008, that's a lot of a gain as well. Um, but that, that's not, was, that was not the right investment and the safest. So then we have to, uh, we learned the simple path to wealth from Jim Collins. Um, and then um, we also went to one of the Shitaqua that Jim Collins was organizing, uh, those retreats in Ecuador. 
Um, that's where we met. Actually, we met Chris, Christian Bryce there. We met uh, Pete, Mr. Money Mustache, and um, a few bloggers that we've been following on that space. And that was kind of the last um, kind of our epiphany moment when we say, okay, we did all of the, the three shots up front. We've met those people, and there was like 20 of us, uh, 20 attendees in that small retreat that were trying to um, reach financial independence and do things with that. Uh, that was kind of the final validation for us. It's like, okay, now um, everything that um, uh, we've learned makes sense. This is not like uh, some kind of um, a big scheme that are people trying to, you know, just make money out of their blogs. That sounds solid. So um, we did adjustment into our portfolio into, in terms of shifting all of our uh, heavily tech uh, stock into low-cost index funds, like the traditional uh, 4% type of investment. Uh, and then we diversify with some real estate. And after that, it was not all about uh, taking action to, yeah, how do we get out? What do we do with our jobs? What do we do with our um, apartment in San Francisco? So for that, um, we were fine into downsizing. Um, like I said, we uh, kind of really embraced minimalism. So we went through like, uh, it took us maybe six months to downsize our apartments to pretty much very little. So then we can get um, get, get get noticed, move a couple of uh, uh, I think we have like three or four like moving bugs that we bring to Mrs. Um, Norman Numbers family. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I had to quit my job because I could not keep my job. Mrs. Norman Numbers has that location independent job. So for her, um, keeping her job was not a, a problem. And then she will realize that, oh, now that we can travel because of your arbitrage, she will be able to keep a pretty high. She will actually get basically a 2x increase in her income because our saving rates was even much higher if we started by going to places with Canada and Mexico. So she kept her job for uh, nine months to try things out. Um, and then, yeah, on July 1st, we were ready to go. Um, we gave notice to my job, to our apartment. Um, yeah, and uh, that's pretty much how we did it. So that's a great lead up into like how you got ready to go on this journey. But can you actually tell us a little bit about like some of the places you've been, what that journey looked like, how long you we're gone for are you still gone that sort of thing yeah so we're still ongoing uh i mean right now right now we are in taiwan but uh, because of the pandemic um so yeah we started because uh, mrs norman number was still working we started in uh we have to stay within the american time zone so we mostly stay in visiting the america so canada north america for three months um, we love to slow travel as well so for us we like to move in one place at least four to six weeks at a time. So we did three months in Canada, and that was mostly in Quebec, when we spent the first month in Montreal, the last month in Quebec City, and the month in between, we took our family, my family, uh, to do a road trip around Quebec. And then we spent about 100 days or um, three months and a half in uh, Mexico. So we did uh, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico City, Huaraca, and San Miguel de Allende. Again, about at uh, an average of four weeks, uh, four weeks a month. Um, and then uh, Mrs. Norman Number starting getting a little bit tired of me enjoying all of my free time and her having to work. Um, so she decided, oh, no, because technically I don't really need to have that job. And that job was really fun at the beginning. She said, okay, I'm just going to quit. And then we decided to go to Aruba. Actually, we went to Aruba and that's when she decided to quit because Aruba is that beautiful island in the Caribbean. Uh, we stayed there for a month uh, when usually people will like spend one week or two for their honeymoon because it's kind of expensive, but we managed to pull it for a, a full four weeks for, uh, I think, less than 3000 uh, for the entire month, which was pretty high in our uh, monthly spending, but 
for the location, it's still pretty, pretty cheap. I think people will probably spend, will have probably spent 10 grand in one or two weeks there. So, so that was Aruba. And then she really said, oh, no, I think I want to, to enjoy. I think that beach, those sunsets, uh, I think I really need to enjoy most of it instead of being stuck at home and working on my laptop. So went to Aruba and then came back to visit our family uh, back in California. Uh, and that's how we ended up year one. And then for year two, we spent Europe and Southeast Asia. So in Europe, we went to uh, France, uh, Spain, Portugal, M Montenegro. And then that led us until the fall of 2019. And then we went to Southeast Asia. So we did uh, uh, two months in Thailand. And then we went to uh, Malaysia, um, Vietnam, Indonesia, and then uh, we have to go. That's where uh, the pandemic hit. So we decided to go and shelter ourselves to Taiwan when we've been since then. Wow. <laughs> well, you have just been all over. And I'm actually looking at your travel app that you have on your website right now. And it shows it's a beautiful map of all the places you've been. A question I have. So on each location here, just like on the main page, it says the cost of living it would be for a year. And it looks like you prorated this out because you spent about four weeks or more in each location. Yeah. Now, how does the quality of living compare to the cost of living? Is it like on a linear scale, the lower the cost of living, the lower the quality of living? I'd love if you could weigh in on some of these, because I'm sure we'll put this in the show notes and people can check out this page for themselves. But should, what do people expect when they see a place that costs $16,000 a year versus a place that costs $50,000 a year? Is it going to be three times worse of a quality of life? No, so actually that's, again, that's the, the power of geo-arbitrage. Um, it's actually, it's, it can be the opposite. So I mentioned Aruba and Aruba is definitely on the, the higher end because I think we spent, uh, I just did two years, I think it's probably 35,000 if I remember correctly. So that's a nice uh, beach location. You can imagine like a beautiful sunset every day, uh, good weather, but uh, you can get the same thing if you go to Thailand. Uh, we went to Kolanta, which is a, a beautiful um, beach town for a fraction of that cost. I think living in Colanta for the year would have been for us like 15,000 a year. So um, we get a nice Airbnb. So we love Airbnbs. We have access to a nice fresh farmer's market. So we could get fresh produce, uh, access to the, uh, to the beach every morning. We usually like to go there to get a swim, do some meditation um, and then kick, kick off the day. So uh, don't think that because the cost of living is low, your life is going to be terrible and cheap. Chiang Mai is another example. It's also in the bottom of our range, uh, but we managed to get a very luxury condo for, I think it was 600 a month, um, just for uh, four weeks of a luxury condo, which has the a gym, uh, which has AC, uh, which is very modern. We have our swimming pool outside. So yeah, it's uh, actually, it's quite the opposite. Um, that's why the tagline of our blog is the cost of travel is cheaper than staying at home. And that's what happened to us. Uh, I think we we slash our cost, uh, our expenses by at least 50% by leaving uh, San Francisco as we were able to travel. I was just going to ask real quick, just as a frame of reference, how much were you spending in San Fran? Just so we can give people a number. Yeah, about 50,000, 50 to 60, I think I would say, per year. And one thing we love to do is to give people, you know, at least just like if they listen to an episode, they get one thing, they get like one thing to look into and you've been to all these amazing places. If someone was looking at this or listening to this episode and thinking, I want to check out a place that has, you know, pretty good infrastructure as far as um, like hospitals and internet, and then they wanted a, a low cost of living. Is there one place that really comes to mind that people could go and research? So I think um, I will have to give you a different answer um, before COVID. Um, I think with COVID, I would say Taiwan, 
because um, all of the other, before COVID, I would have said probably Chiang Mai or Bali. I think Chiang Mai will be by far the, the best in terms of infrastructure. But now because of COVID, we are thinking also as well as access to healthcare, stability with the government. Um, and all of those countries as a foreigners haven't been always as nice with their um, foreigners, actually, while Taiwan has been amazing. So, uh, and the cost of living are not that far. I think uh, Chiang Mai will be like 16, 15, 16,000 a year. Uh, Taiwan, I think, is going to be for us 22 so far with the, the expenses we've put. So pretty similar. Um, and here, the cost, the healthcare is amazing. It's very affordable. The infrastructure is like, it's like a cheaper version of Japan. Very good public transportation. We've never used a car uh, with buses and subways and train. You can go anywhere. They have the high-speed rail. So yeah, Taipei for sure. So how did you discover Taiwan? Like it seems like, and we'll definitely dig into this because it just seems like Taiwan is an absolute gold mine. But I'm guessing it was extensive research. You guys are both in tech. You guys both seem like you're research savvy. Was that all it was? Was it just looking up like, you know, best places to live for X, Y, and Z and Taiwan just checked all the boxes or? Well, I think it's, uh, I think it's research and luck because nobody knew about COVID. So remember, we were in Indonesia in between mid-Feb. We're supposed to be an engineer from mid-February to mid-March, uh, to end of March. The pandemic hit like mid-March. So now like we went quickly like into almost panic month, like, oh, what do we do? Um, but so instead of going back to the US, because the, if you remember at the time, uh, we, our, uh, the family of my wife are in California. So the West Coast starting getting hit, Seattle and all of those places turning a little bit reddish. Um, so we said, okay, let's look around uh, any place in the world because as uh, long-term travelers, we can basically go anywhere. And Taiwan has the lower numbers at that time. I think we were looking at Taiwan, Singapore, and Malaysia, and Australia. Uh, Australia, because my wife been there, so she was familiar with it uh, as well, and Singapore, and Malaysia, because we just spent time in Malaysia, and the health care seems to be pretty good and with the cost of living. We ended up with Taiwan, because it was the lowest numbers, and the day prior to departure, I think Malaysia were doing like bad things, like having massive gathering in Kuala Lumpur, which led to one of their biggest outbreaks and put them into a bit of trouble towards COVID. So yeah, that's how we end up with Taiwan. To date, to give you guys numbers, I think Taiwan has less than just about 600 cases total, uh, seven deaths um, in total. And that's not just for two days, like since the beginning. And they haven't got, most of those cases are imported from people that can come inside the territory, like residents mostly that want to come back. Uh, there hasn't been any local transmission of the virus locally within Taiwan for more than 200 days. Which is which is crazy and unaware of. So um, yeah, so that's why we've been very so we've been lucky because when we came to Taiwan, we didn't know that it was going to be that good and how well the country was going to react and manage their border and their quarantine policy. But yeah, for now it's like that's why we're encouraging our friends in the US. There is a way for you to get a visa and residency like we did. So if you guys, uh, you know, if anyone is interested, that's what we're also promoting on the blog, and we can discuss more with you guys on that. Is like you get so much, especially in that time of pandemic, by living here. That's actually what my next question was going to be is, you know, you've been in Taiwan for a while. It sounds like you're not looking to leave anytime soon. Most of the time when I think of going to a different country, my first question is, well, how do I stay there longer than six months or three months or however long the visa is good for? So how are you able to stay there as long as you have? How long can you stay there? Like How complicated is it? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good question. And so usually in normal condition when borders are open, uh, people will just do visa runs. So in Taiwan, you get 
three months upon arrival um, as uh, American and European. Uh, and then you can extend up to six months uh, by just uh, going to the local immigration and paying a small fee. Uh, after that, you have to leave the country. Um, so a lot of people prior to that were just basically going in and out of the country. And Taiwan has still been okay with that. I think uh, countries with Thailand, for instance, the visa are much shorter. And if you do those visa run, you will get flagged and some people have been banned for entering the, the country. So in general, this is not a practice we like to do ourselves. Uh, but now with COVID, uh, you cannot do that anymore because the border in Taiwan are still closed to uh, foreigners. So we we started looking at options and we discovered that uh, Taiwan has what they call the employment gold card visa program, which is which a visa that can give you residency for up to three years, and it's for it's to attract uh, foreign skilled foreigners uh, to come into the country. So. Just for the background, if you want to find a job in Taiwan uh, as a non-Taiwanese, it's a little bit like in the US as a, an immigrant. Like for me, when I moved to the US, I had to find interview for a company and that company gave me a visa to enter the country. So the same applied to Taiwan. You need to find a job first, then that company will sponsor you for a visa. And then when you leave that company, you will lose your visa as well. So that uh, gold card was a way for uh, foreigners to come to the country first and then to be able to apply for a job. So the country is looking for specific sets of um, foreigners with specific skills. And then um, if your application is approved, then they give you that, uh, that visa for up to three years. Awesome. Yeah, I did some digging and it looks like Taiwan isn't the only country that does something like this, where if you're in a specific industry and you have X income, then you can come live here for X, Y, or Z number of years. And it obviously depends, but it's just cool hearing like your specific situation with Taiwan. I do want to ask though, as a resident, so you, you don't have a passport from Taiwan or anything as a resident, what are some of those rights? Like, do you get all the health care? Do you get permits into neighboring, neighboring countries? Do you have visitation? Like, can you have people come visit you? I'd love to hear, like, how you are viewed in the eyes of the Taiwanese government. Yeah, so, again, the Taiwanese government has been, uh, you know, as we enter the country as uh, foreigners, that has been already really, really nice to them. Um, just uh, you know, because they keep extending the actually the the visa, the free visa we enter on has been still being extended as we are recording that that episode. Um, so they are keep so the people that if we will have arrived back in March, we could have still legally be able to stay because every month they do extend that as they understand that the world out there is not really safe. Um, so you know when we are discussing about uh, which country do you think are safe, and I've put those warning in countries like Vietnam, uh, sorry, like um, Taiwan or Indonesia. Those countries have been very friendly with their foreigners and some of our friends that been there, some of them have to leave and go back home uh, after um, the first three or six months period. So when it comes to the gold visa, it's the same. Um, they, have been, uh, they are really nice and they give you pretty much the best of the best. So you get a resident visa that gives you the ability to be resident and stay in the country. You get um, an alien resident certificate. Um, so that's uh, basically the card that show you that's the equivalent of your passport. So with that, you can enter the country. Uh, you have uh, multiple entry permits. So you can come in and out. Even during the pandemic, they will still let you back in. Uh, you have an open, an open work permit. So not only you can work for a Taiwanese company, but you can work for any company or for yourself. Um, you have the ability to apply for the national healthcare, which is um, pretty good. Uh, is the official um, insurance here in Taiwan? Uh, it's really cheap. It has uh, no deductible, and uh, the cost uh, for on a monthly basis it's around less than thirty USD. 
So that's a pretty good compare, especially if you compare it with the system uh, in the US. Oh, yeah. Um, you, have, you also have the ability to bring your spouse and your kids. So um, if you have a spouse, you can just have yourself to apply and have that person to become your dependent. You can also invite your um, uh, grandparents and parents, so basically all of your descendants, to visit the country. So that's what we plan to do with my parents. So then they can come visit instead of us having going to Europe. And there is also some tax break um, that you can enjoy as you come here as well. That I don't have too much. But that's kind of the eight main benefits that you get from that card. So you've given us a breakdown of you know how you're able to physically be in Taiwan, some of the positive things there. But if we actually start to break down where the costs are coming from and how that compared to your life in the United States, I mean... What are the different areas that lead to your, you know, I think you said somewhere between 15, 15 and $20,000 a year. I mean, is most of the savings just coming from housing and everything else is similar to the United States or is it cheaper across the board? What's a general breakdown of your budget? So I'm looking, so I'm just looking at um, our app because that's where all of the data are. So as of now, so since um, with all of the expense from March all the way to uh, the end of November, about uh, 50% of our budget is into accommodation. So uh, just to show you how cheap the life here, because usually in average we spend, uh, so the big three are accommodation, transportation as food, as you guys know, and usually we do one third in accommodation. But right now, uh, yeah, we've been spending about 50% or 9,000 bucks into accommodation um, for that eight month period. So 9,000 bucks. And then uh, and then after that, it's uh, groceries, food, and then after that is transportation. So yeah, it's way cheaper. Um, we, we spend about uh, 1,000 a month in rent here. And we have a nice, it's like one bedroom size apartment in a very good location in Taipei. And Taipei is also the most expensive place because it's the capital. But yeah, so accommodation is uh, yeah not that expensive compared to uh, some, uh, definitely compared to California and some high cost of living in the US. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the food, um, it's dramatically cheaper as well as the local transportation. Uh, and that's how I ended up with those um, 22,000 uh, roughly. So what type of lifestyle do you guys live? Are you mostly just, you know, hanging in every night, cooking dinner, getting the cheapest groceries possible? Are you the boring people that everyone talks about in the five community? Or what do you do with in almost your days or weeks? Yeah, so I think for us, it's... Um, so yeah, we practice what we call slow travel and also slow travel and slow living. So we just see travel as, uh, you know, instead of working to travel, travel is our lifestyle. So... So yeah, the day-to-day might look a bit boring. I think I will categorize it. So we usually split our time 50-50. So 50% of our time is our exploration when we do the travel part, the fun part. And the other 50% is kind of the boring part where we will work on our project, uh, our hobbies, stay home, do the cooking and all of that. We do in general eat most of our meal at home. That's correct. And we will just like, we like to live like local. So yeah. Uh, you know, if you will imagine living here for a year or, uh, or even a month or more, we just, yeah, go out, find our uh, nice farmer's market with fresh produce, um, just buy whatever is in season, go back home, cook some of that meal. Uh, we usually go out a couple of times a week, though. So we, uh, the food in Asia and Southeast Asia, it's super cheap. So actually, most people here are not even cooking uh, for us because we focus on our health. We just have to know what goes into our body and the street food or the food outside. It's always in, never controlled, you know, the oil and all of that. 
So I think that's why. But I think uh, here in Asia, it's one of the, in countries like Taiwan and Southeast Asia in particular, it's all of those three exceptions where it's probably cheaper for you to go out every day. We just decide not to do that. So not for the saving part, but like I said, for the uh, health part. Um, yeah, so we do that. So the 50% of the time when we go explore, we Taiwan is a bit different than usual because we have been stuck here for a long time. Um, but so what we'll do, we will alternate between two two or three months living in Taipei and one month exploring around Taiwan. We'll do more like a fast travel. Um, when uh, So we just did that back in October when we took four weeks. We went to um, Kenting, which is the, the south uh, of Taiwan, which is a nice... Uh, beach town uh, we did we went to uh, green island which is a nice island for some scuba diving and snorkeling we went to hualien on the east coast to do um, some biking we did a three-day bike ride uh, when we bike uh, 200 kilometers uh, so maybe 100 120 miles or so um, uh, to explore the east coast uh, taiwan is a very beautiful country by bike and the bike infrastructure is amazing so um, yeah, so those are some of the, the things we do. We kind of try to alternate between the slow travel and the fast travel. And, and yeah, we do some of the boring things too. So since you're living the slow travel um, you know, type lifestyle and you're getting to live more like a local and now you've explored a lot, as we are still in this COVID-19 kind of era and you mentioned like how successful they've been, what is it you've noticed about whether it be the culture, the infrastructure, what the government did? What is it that you think made them so successful at handling the virus? So people will listen to the governments by the tea and they will wear masks. Um, I think this is, um, I think that's what probably had them being so good. Um, I think when I look at the news from countries in Europe, country uh, like state in the United States, um, I think it's much harder for those countries to have kind of a mandate, but here it's pretty much a mandate. When the government say, hey, you need to wear masks indoor, uh, people are going to wear masks indoor. Uh, you need to self-social distance yourself, people will social distance your- themselves. We haven't been experiencing that since, uh, I think, April. They've been relaxing all of those rules. I think right now um, the rules is to only wear masks in public transportation and in some grocery stores. So we haven't been wearing masks pretty much that much. Um, but people will definitely wear masks in the streets, even though it's not required. You can, it's very common to see most of people wearing masks in the streets. Um, so uh, yeah, they just follow what the government is doing. Uh, right now, as the winter is coming, I think as of December 1st, they're going to uh, require people to, uh, again, wear masks indoor when it was not um, required uh, before, just as the flu is coming and just as a precaution. Even though there is nobody with a virus, I think the government wants to be, be extremely precautious instead of potential outbreak or something bad happened, at least they want to control things. So that's one thing. The other thing is that their quarantine process is really, really good. So to when we enter, to share a bit about our experience, when we get to the airport, uh, we actually at the time we didn't know the quarantine was going to be mandatory for us. We are just going to self-quarantine, but they changed the, the rules as we arrived because the news at that time were changing every day. So they asked for our phone numbers uh, as we go through the immigration, they make sure they could call our phone numbers. Uh, they did that on the spot. And then they ask us for our address, uh, where we are going to stay. And they ask us not to take any public transportation. So you only have to take private transportation, so taxi or Uber to get to your uh, place. And after that, uh, starting the first day, they get, there is like police officer that were checking on us uh, every day. 
I think it's the local uh, police that just check on everybody in quarantine. So I didn't know that I could not really go out of the apartment. I know I could not leave the apartment uh, itself. I didn't know I could not leave the building. Uh, sorry, I knew I could not leave the building. I didn't know I could not leave the apartment. So when that guy, there was someone that was ringing the bell because um, I just basically, uh, we were in a, a second floor in, our, in that condo. So I went downstairs and I opened the door with that person wearing my mask and he'd say, hey, who are you? And I say, oh, this is me. But I say, oh, what are you doing here? Please come back to your apartment. And he did that in a nice way. But uh, yeah, they were making sure check on us to make sure we are in the apartment, we are following the quarantine. Um, then they ask us to change our phone um, to a local SIM card, so then they could track our location as well, which is pretty common here. So that way, um, if people are leaving the apartment, um, the local authority will find them within minutes uh, because of geolocation. So yeah, with that, they are just able to make sure that people are doing the quarantine for two weeks. And every day they will ping you and asking you, um, usually through text message, are you okay? You have to take your temperature. So are you okay or not? And if you're not okay, they will just take care of you and uh, you know, if you need hospitalization. Uh, but then after, after the 14 days, if you are good, then you can just, you are free, free to go. And then you don't need to do, you just follow the local rules and that's pretty much it. So I think that has been helping. And that's why those 600 plus or minus cases I've mentioned came from just all of those people that came because they follow the quarantine, they can, you know, identify them. If they need treatment, they get go to take to hospital isolated, and then the virus is not spreading for them. So I think that has been very good as well. The quarantine process here. Wow, <laughs> that is so different than the U.S. And I'm sure you're aware of that. But that's that's crazy. I mean, just probably thinking like a U.S. person. Wow, but obviously they're doing something right and they're handling this. And obviously COVID has thrown a wrench in everyone's travel plans. I know I've missed out on a ton of travel. Justin's missed out on a ton of travel. You've probably missed out on a ton of travel yourself, Mr. NN. What's next after COVID? Do you have another destination in mind? Do you have all these destinations that you you wish you could have gone in 2020 that maybe are on the horizon for 2021? So I'll take a step back. Think So we wanted, you know, when we decided slow travel versus financial independence and all of that, I think what we wanted for us is to spend time to travel and also spend more time with family. Um, because uh, as I've moved from France to the US in 2008, uh, I was like some like 6,000 miles away from them. So with more limited vacation, I couldn't see them more than once every 18 months. So I'm more like now I want to spend more time with them. My parents are like recently retired and they're still healthy. So um, yeah, so the next plan for us was to each year we want to spend one month with our relative family. So I was going to take my parents to Japan in uh, that have been in April. We, we, we canceled that. So I'm hoping to be able to take them hopefully next year to come visit us in Taiwan. And after their quarantine, they could, uh, we can spend some quality time with them. Um, but after that, we wanted to spend more time in Europe. We really enjoy Europe. And uh, we also want to spend more time in Southeast Asia uh, because it was my first time in uh, South Asia country was the last fall of 2019. The only country I've been was uh, Japan, which was part of Asia. So I've never been to Southeast Asia. And as I told you guys, it's really affordable um, and you get a really good quality of living. So yeah, we're thinking, still traveling around. We have a lot of plans. We want to do, um, uh, one of our big goals is to cross the US with an RV, uh, to eat all of the national parks. But to get to that, we want to have an experience with an RV. So I think maybe we can start with New Zealand for maybe a month or two, and maybe Australia to get us uh, familiar with that and see if we can if we can do that on the long term. Mrs. Norman Numbers is also into a lot into uh, sustainable living. So um, we are also trying to look as we travel those countries for the next uh, the next few years, 
trying to find a place that would be our home because uh, slow traveling is nice, um, but I think having a community and uh, it's also very important. And as you move every month, it's really hard to have any sort of community. Now that we have been in Taiwan for the for like uh, almost nine months, uh, we can start building that. But having that permanent home might be a good way for us to establish that uh, that community. So we'll be looking into finding some what that place looks like and um, yeah ideally purchasing a property there uh, as our home and while still traveling but that's that's kind of the short and long-term plan that we have in mind for us right now well mr nomad numbers we really appreciate you coming on the show today but there's so much good information that you have out there there's no way we could cover all you've been to so many places you're so thorough with the numbers a lot of really great data so if somebody wants to dig really deep into that and just nerd out on all the data you've collected, where is the best place for them to do that? Yes, I think the best place for people to come is just to come visit our blog at uh, nomadnumbers.com. And if they want to get in touch with us, just get to our newsletter so they can follow our adventure along the way. Awesome, man. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. And I'm sure that a ton of listeners will get a ton of value. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thebuyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.